Hey church, I want to welcome you to our online services. Thanks for joining us and I want to say thanks to Jeff for reminding us of what our mission is as a church and how we can live that out practically. Um, As we get ready to open God's word together, I want to lead us in a time of prayer and then we're going to dig into the gospel of John chapter 5 together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that when we open your word together that you speak to us. And so God, that's what we're asking for right now, that in a very personal way that you would speak to each person who's listening. God, as we've met together in different homes all across the city, that God, you would speak to each one of us in an individual way and and that God, we would respond to what we we hear by by believing and, and, and by obeying what you speak to us. Father, I also pray that you would speak to us collectively in in a unified way that as your church, we would hear your voice today. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are picking up the Gospel of John series in chapter five. And so where we left off is that there is this growing animosity towards Jesus from the Jews, the religious leaders. Um, They are frustrated with him because he is violating their customs by, for example, healing on the Sabbath. Um, They're frustrated with him because he's deconstructing their their superstitions. But what they're most upset about is that he's claiming to be equal with God, that he's claiming to be the son of God. And so now what we're going to see is that rather than Jesus backing off from that claim, he's going to double down. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 18 through 29, Jesus is going to explain his identity, um, not only to them, but also to, to us. Now, when you look at how people have responded to Jesus throughout history, um, rarely do you find a culture or a group of people who don't acknowledge Jesus as a good guy, uh, a, a religious leader, an influential leader, um, a, a rabbi of mercy, um, a qualified teacher of the law of Moses. Um, but what you will find is that where people reject Jesus is at the same place the Jews are rejecting him on his identity, his claim to be more than man, his claim to be the son of God. And so we're gonna pick this up in verse 18 of John chapter five. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will be shown him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one. He has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. 
So what Jesus is going to do is he's going to present his identity to us, to those who will listen, with three truly, truly statements. So these are really important statements because essentially by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, what Jesus is saying is that I'm putting forth this claim as absolutely true. And if you believe it, we're together. If you reject it, we aren't. And so these three statements are really gonna build one upon the other as Jesus presents himself to us as the son of God. And here in the first truly, truly statement, what Jesus is saying, uh, both to the Jews who were plotting to kill him and even to us today, is that he and the father were equal. They were of the same nature. They see the same things. They oftentimes are doing the same things. They share in honor with one another. Matter of fact, he says, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And so they were equal in nature, but also distinct in person. And here, just in this particular example, he says, the father raises the dead and gives them life. For the father judges no one, but the son judges. And so we see that the father is raising to life. And the son is the one judging. So while they are the same in nature, they are distinct in their personhood. And so this is gonna leave us with this really important question, who is Jesus? Now, this is a really important question that Jesus himself asks his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, we read where Jesus sits them down and has this conversation starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So obviously it's not only important that the Jews understand who Jesus is claiming to be, but it's important for him that all of his followers understand that this is who he is. More important than what he has to offer to us is who we believe that he is. And now we're gonna see in this second truly, truly statement um, why this is so important, why it matters what we do with Jesus. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but passes, pass, has passed from death to life. And so what Jesus is saying is this is why it matters. All of eternity hangs in the balance with what you do with this claim of who I am. So it matters. There are two options here. Either, either you, are, you are raised to eternal life or you're raised to eternal judgment. Now, he doesn't fully explain what he means by that here, but what he's saying is that the difference is what you do with what I'm saying. He who hears these words of mine and believes, who, who responds with faith that I truly am the son of God. That will be the determining factor in your eternity. Whoever hears these words and believes. Now you may have heard it described this way, that really there are only three options um, for what we do with Jesus and who he claimed to be. Either he is a liar, he's a con artist, and he pulled off the biggest con ever pulled off known to humanity by convincing not only these 
12 guys that he was the son of God and the Messiah, but for all the people uh, who followed him, the crowds who followed him. But even to this day, as a church, we still follow Jesus. And he's either an incredible liar or he's a lunatic. He's, he's off his rocker and he thinks these things are true, but they're not. And not only does he think that they're true, he's convinced other people that they're true And so then the second option would be that he's just a lunatic or that he is who he claims to be and he is Lord. So he's either Lord, he's a liar, or he is a lunatic. And and, in Jesus, for Jesus, the answer to that question matters. Again, not just for the religious leaders who who were angry that he was claiming to be the son of God, but even for his followers, for you and for me, that we answer this important question. Is he the Lord, or is he a liar, or is he a lunatic? Now, for you and I, this matters because when we begin to acknowledge Jesus as our Lord, as as truly the Son of God, then we begin to see him as this ultimate authority. You see, this is is what I believe was really the, the frustration of the Jewish leaders. As long as he didn't claim to be the Son of God, it was man versus man. It was their teaching versus his teaching. It was their religious influences versus his religious influence. But the moment he claims to be son of God, he's now making himself an authority, right, under which all people must submit. And so here he's explicitly saying that he holds authority over life and death, eternal life and judgment. And the deciding factor will be, who do you say that he is? Now, in verse 25, we're going to pick up the third truly, truly statement um, in this section of John's gospel. We read this. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now Jesus is further explaining what he previously said in verse 24. He's explaining these two options. But in this truly, truly uh, statement here, what, what Jesus is saying is that he has been given authority over all of this. And it's, it's that all the dead will hear his voice. And upon hearing his voice, they will come out of the graves, come out of the tombs, and that he will execute judgment. Now, here's what we have to understand. So many times in the church today, in the first church, um, in the book of Acts, we come to Jesus for what he has to offer. We see him as savior. We see him as healer. We see him as forgiver. And we want that. We embrace that. We embrace what he has to offer without fully embracing his identity as the son of God. And here's how we know by what comes out of our life, right? When we embrace what he has to offer without responding to that, to the, to the goodness of who he is with submission to authority, 
right? We haven't fully embraced him as our Lord. And there's this idea that you can somehow have, have Jesus as your savior and then sometime later in life acknowledge him as Lord. And here's what I would say to that. If Jesus is your savior, the only way he has authority to save you, the only way he has authority to, to rescue you from sin and death is if he is the Lord. If he stands over the universe with the authority to save us. And so, see, it can't be one or the other. It has to be both. Now, the modern day perspective on God is to somehow recoil at the idea of God being our ultimate authority. I mean, that concept in general is rejected by our current culture, that nobody stands in authority over me, that I have authority over myself. I determine what is right for me. I determine what is wrong. I determine what is good. I determine what is bad. And, and, and for our culture, most of these decisions are being made by what's felt, what makes me feel good, what makes me feel safe, what makes me feel comfortable. And this idea, just like the, the struggle of the Pharisees that someone would stand in authority over me, right? That's not a comforting thought. When it's man to man, right? When it's me versus God, which is how most of us will interact with God in our relationship with him. He, he gives commands to us and we receive them as though they're coming from a man and we debate them or we, we, we criticize them and we tear them apart and we don't accept them as a command coming from an ultimate authority, this modern-day perspective of God as an all-powerful judge is not a popular sentiment. I want to read a description of who God claims to be uh, in the Old Testament. There's a, a song that Moses wrote, and it's at the time where the, uh, the leadership of Moses is being transferred to Joshua, and it's recorded in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses writes this song. And in this song, he quotes God describing himself. I just want to read one verse from this song of Moses. Uh, this is Deuteronomy. God says this about himself. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. You see, we like the idea of the God who makes alive, the God who heals, but we recoil at the idea that he has authority to even kill, that he has authority to wound. And here's the irony in that. We love the idea that he wounded his son for us. Isaiah 53 says that by his wounds, we have been healed. And it's the father who's wounding the son. And we're okay with that idea, right? But we begin to recoil and reject it when God's love comes to us in such a way that it feels like a wound. So we reject God's authority. Here's how I would respond to that. Why would you be interested in worshiping, dedicating your life to a God who is anything less than a God who has authority to kill and authority to make alive, authority to wound and authority to heal, right? To worship anything less than that is to worship something on the same plane as man. But when we talk about worshiping Jesus and submitting our lives to him, what we're saying is we are, we are, we are claiming that he is our Lord. 
He is more than man. He is equal with God. He is truly the Son of God. John Calvin describes our response to the authority of Christ this way. He says, there is nothing holier or better or safer than to content ourselves with the authority of Christ alone. Think about that. What he's saying is that he's embracing this this idea that Jesus truly is the, the ultimate authority over our lives. He's the authority over life and death. He is the authority over eternal life and he is the the authority over judgment, but there is no safer place to be. Why? Because not only is Jesus our judge, he is a good judge. He is a just judge. He is a merciful judge. And so therefore, there is nowhere better, nowhere safer to be than to content ourselves, to submit our lives under his authority just want to share with you a, an illustration that I think helps me kind of understand um, the, uh, the foolishness of, of when I choose to disobey God intentionally or reject his authority over my life. Um, there's a story of a, of a ship captain. This is in the early 20th century before um, they had the technology to communicate through radios. And so they would use uh, Morse code with lights. And so this is at nighttime and there's a battleship that's, that's sailing uh, just um, just off the coast, and um, one, of the, um, one of the shipmates comes to the captain and says, listen, we've located another ship that's out there in the sea. We can see um, the, the light of the ship, and so we need to know what you want us to do. Do you want us to switch course? And the captain and his pride and arrogance said, we're not switching course. Let's tell them to switch course. Send out the signal for that ship to, to switch directions by 20 degrees and to, to move around us so we can continue on our way. And so they carry out these orders and they flash the, the light in and, and Morse code and communicate to the, to the other ship uh, to switch course. Well, the signal comes back and they, they write down what, what the response is and they come back to the captain and say, listen, the, the, this ship isn't gonna budge. Matter of fact, what they're saying to us is that we need to switch course by 20 degrees. And so the, the captain and his arrogance said, say to them, we are a battleship. We are not switching course. Change your course by 20 degrees. And so they go out and they carry out these orders and they send the signal uh, to the other ship to switch course by 20 degrees because the ship that's, that's sailing is a battleship and they need to get out of the way. And, and so the signal comes back and they come back to the captain and, and say to the captain, the captain says, what do they say? Are they gonna switch course now? And they say to the captain, no, they're not gonna switch course. And of course he says, well, why not? Well, because it's not a ship, it's a lighthouse. You see, in that, in that illustration, what, right, you, you begin to see the, the arrogance of the foolish captain thinking that he had authority over another ship and they should move out of his way. And you know, that's what we do when we, when we reject the authority of Jesus over our lives. It's just as foolish, right? Because in that illustration, right, the reality is what? You're not gonna win, right? I know you are a battleship and, 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 and you think you have it all figured out and that, that you have authority over these waters, but on the other end, communicating back to us is our Lord and Savior saying to us, I am not a ship. I am not a fellow man. I'm not just a good guy. I'm not just a merciful rabbi or, or a religious teacher. I am the son of God. And I'm not moving When you collide with me, you're going to be the one who bows in submission, not me. 
And this is how we treat Jesus when we reject his authority over our lives, when we disobey his commands, when we come to him embracing what he has to offer but rejecting his identity as the son of God. To come to Jesus as our savior but to reject him as our Lord is to be the foolish ship captain. So what I wanna do now is I wanna give you a, a, a few questions for reflection and for maybe even discussion. The first question is this, I want you to ask yourself, who do you say Jesus is? And I don't want you to be too quick to answer this question. I really want you to think about it. Because it's not just how we answer this question with our words, it's how we answer this question with our lives. And if we say that he is the Lord, the son of the living God, then our lives will follow that, that proclamation. There will be this, the, the people around us, we will be able to see a submission in our lives to Jesus as our authority. The second question is this. What about Jesus is most attractive to you? I want you to think about that. There were a lot of people attracted to Jesus in the Gospels, but they were attracted to Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Are you most attracted to Jesus for what he has to offer you or for who he is? Now think about that. What is it that compels you to trust Jesus? What, what is this that, that calls you to have a relationship with Christ? Is it what he has to offer you or is it who he is? And then this third question I wanna ask. What is Jesus asking of you that you find difficult to obey. Surely there is something in your life right now. Maybe it's a sin that you just continue to repeat. Maybe it's um, a call to share the gospel with a friend or a family member or a neighbor. But there's something Jesus is calling you to do, not just as your savior, but as your Lord, as your king. So what is it? What is it that you're struggling to obey him in right now in your life? I want to wrap up our time together in prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for our time in the word today. God, thank you for speaking to us. And Father, we acknowledge that more important than the things you have to offer us is what we think about who you are, what we believe to be true about who you are. Today you've revealed to us that you are equal with God, the Father in nature. You are distinct in person. And not only that, but by believing uh, your words, Father, that we will have eternal life. But for those who reject you, there will be eternal judgment. And so, Father, together we are declaring as a church that you are truly our, our Lord and our King and our authority but that has to begin in our hearts individually first. So I pray right now, God, Father, you would speak to each one of us. You would bring to the surface this reality of who we claim that you are. We pray all this in your name. Amen.